may let him into a few rooms that there's always a room or two that is still dead bolted and locked. And you know what? You never experience the fullness of Jesus till every door and every room in your soul has had the lock removed and Jesus has been allowed into every room. Welcome to Life Talk with Dr. Jeff Wickwire, author and founding senior pastor of the exciting Turning Point Church in Fort Worth, Texas. Pastor Jeff is known for his heartfelt and practical proclamation of the scriptures. We are so glad you joined us today. So stay tuned as Pastor Jeff teaches, encourages, and challenges you from the Word of God. good times and bad, we Christians should determine to always be a blessing to our beloved Jesus Christ. Hi everybody, welcome to Life Talk. I'm Jeff Wickwire and thanks for joining me this time. Today we're continuing the series, The One That Got Away, taken right from the Song of Solomon. Last time on Life Talk, we covered the first 15 verses of chapter 4 in the Song of Solomon. We finished with the shepherd talking about the Shulamite's person, her position, her passion, her protection, and her perfection. And just before the shepherd ended their tryst, he whispered to her a few words about the greatest and brightest hope of all, the promised rapture of the Shulamite. Now here the Shulamite talks about the north and south winds. A north wind is chilly. It's more adversarial than anything, chilling us to the bone. A south wind is more pleasant, like a balmy spring breeze. She's saying that no matter the circumstances, she was determined to be a blessing to her beloved. I can't wait to share it with you, so let's go right to the message, an hour of testimony. An hour of testimony. Now, last time, we covered the first 15 verses of chapter 4. We finished with the shepherd talking about the Shulamite's person, her position, her passion, her protection, and her perfection. So five Ps there, in case you didn't catch that. Her person, position, passion, protection, and her perfection. Now, just before the shepherd ended their tryst, he whispered to her a few words about the greatest and brightest hope of all, the promised rapture or her deliverance from Solomon's court, Solomon's pavilion, to be exclusively with the shepherd. Now, of course, that is a picture of what is coming for the real church of Jesus Christ. The day is going to come when a trumpet is going to blow and God is going to take us out of Solomon's pavilion, the world, and all of its temptation and all of its battle and all of its warfare then we are ever going to be with our great shepherd without interruption, without the devil, without sin, without the world. No detours, roadblocks, nothing to stop us from fully being in his presence. That's the message here. She has been, the Shulamite has been kidnapped and brought into Solomon's pavilion. He intends to make her one of his harem. And he had a harem. 700 concubines, a 1,000 wives. Lord, he needed prayer in a lot of ways. And it was those wives, by the way, that carried him into idolatry because he married foreign wives that God had forbidden him from doing. And they carried him into an idolatry 
and an idol worship that is almost beyond comprehension. But that's another message. Now, picking up the story in the last verse of chapter 4, we hear the Shulamites plea. Now, this is the end of chapter 4. Here's the Shulamites plea. She says, Awake, north wind, and come, south wind. Blow on my garden that its fragrance may spread everywhere. Now, what's she talking about? The Shulamite is talking about the north wind and the south wind. What is she referring to? Well, we know that a north wind is chilly. It's more adversarial than anything. Chilling us to the bone. When a real strong north wind comes, we bundle up, and it's not a pleasant thing to go out into it. That's the north wind. A south wind is more pleasant. Not in August in Texas. Let's talk about a spring wind, okay? But a south wind is more pleasant. It's like a balmy spring breeze. So she's saying, blow north wind and come south wind. What is she saying? What is she referring to? She's saying that no matter the circumstances, if it's difficult, if it's adversarial, or if it's pleasant times, she was determined to be a blessing to her beloved. Here's what she's saying. She's saying what we ought to be saying to Jesus, what our attitude ought to be. And it's this, that, Lord, if I'm going through trouble, I'm still going to praise you. If I'm going through good times, I'm not going to forget to praise you. Chilly wind, cold wind is not going to drive me away from you. And south winds are not going to make me forget you. I'm going to be a blessing to you. That's her intent. I'm going to be a blessing to the shepherd no matter the weather. So we wake up in the morning, we've got bills that haven't been paid, and the kids are going nuts, and our marriage is in trouble, and we wonder what we're going to do, what direction we're going to take. That's the cold wind. And we say with the Shulamite, I'm still going to be a blessing to you, Lord, because I know you've got it all under control, so I'm with you. And when it's the south wind and it's good times and all the bills are paid, you've got extra money and everything seems to be going well and you are sailing through calm waters, you don't forget to be a blessing to the Lord and don't let the good times cause you to forget him. That's what she's saying. So whether it was a north wind or a south wind, the spices of her garden, her attitude would flow out in a blessing to the shepherd. And she's also anticipating the final consummation of their relationship. Now, this is intimate, okay? That moment when he finally comes to rescue her from Solomon's pavilion and makes her his own. It's, it's wedding time. It's honeymoon time. That's what she's talking about. Look at what she says in verse 16, the latter half of the verse. Let my beloved come into his garden and taste his choice fruits. This cry of the Shulamite echoes the longing of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ doesn't it? She's saying uh, what we've read so often in the Bible, even so, come Lord Jesus. It says in Revelation 22, 20, right at the end of that incredible prophecy, John writes, he who is the faithful witness to all these things says, let's read it together. Yes, I am coming soon. I read this good and loud. Amen. Come Lord Jesus. That's what she's saying. She's saying, shepherd, when you're ready, I'm ready. Come and get me out of here, for my ultimate is to be with you forever. And I really do believe that the more the last days move along and the tougher times get out there and the darker it seems to become, the cry of the church is going to increase. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Oh, come, Lord Jesus. Listen, when the times are tough out there, it causes you to look up and say, Lord, my eyes are on you. 
And I want you to come and take us out. Paul wrote to the Philippians, our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me ask you, do you eagerly await his return? What if you knew he was coming tonight? Would you sit here for the rest of this service or would you run and make some things right before he showed up? What would it do to you if you knew he was coming again tonight? Would it scare you? Would it excite you? Would you feel like, well, I better make some phone calls, get some things right, ask for forgiveness, forgive some others? What would you do if you knew that he was coming back tonight? I really believe when you're really right and walking in the Spirit, you can say with Paul, we eagerly await a Savior from there. Now, just as the Shulamite wanted deliverance from Solomon's courts, the church longs for the rapture and our deliverance from this present evil world. And this is one troubled world. And it's only going to get worse, church, can I tell you. Evolution is not going to make it better because evolution doesn't exist. We're not evolving into a better place. We're devolving into a more difficult place. Satan knows his time is short and has come down with great wrath. But we walk with a victor who gives us peace in the storm. Amen? Now, unfortunately, the translators, when they were dividing up the chapters, and it was translators that did it, you do understand, in the original language, there were no chapters. It was just a long scroll, and it was just a continuum. But the translators came along and divided the Bible up into chapters, and it's a good thing they did. It's easier to remember, easier to read, kind of marks things off. But when they ended chapter 4 with verse 16, I think they made a mistake. They should have made one more, verse 17, and made chapter 5, verse 1, chapter 4, verse 17. Because I think chapter 5, verse 1 is directly attached to 4, verse 16. Does that make sense? Okay, let's look. We see in chapter 5, verse 1, that the shepherd was just as excited with the prospect of rapture as was the Shulamite. Look what he says, verse 1. I have come into my garden, my sister, my bride. I have gathered my myrrh with my spice. I have eaten my honeycomb and my honey. I have drunk my wine and my milk. The shepherd had an expectation of marital bliss. Notice he speaks of her as his bride. He longs to consummate the betrothal when the proper time arrives. Now, let me ask you a question. Are you aware that Jesus feels that way about the church? Now, I'm not talking sexual. This is not ultimately sexual. I mean, do you know that when the father finally turns to the son and says, go get your bride, Jesus is going to say, hallelujah, because he wants to be with those his blood redeemed. All right? So that's what's going on here. The great truth here is the rapture of the church. The Lord is coming for his church. He does indeed intend to catch it up in his arms and take it forever to be with himself. And then we will go to the marriage supper of the Lamb. It'll be a feast like you can't even begin to imagine it because eye has not seen, nor has ear heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. What a day that's going to be. 
when Jesus comes. And instantly we shall see him and we will be like him for we shall see him as he is. In John 14, verses 2 through 3, Jesus says, and I read this at every funeral I ever preside over. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive it in myself. Now, verse 1 is Jesus telling us not to be afraid. Not to be afraid of death. Not to be afraid of evil. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. Then he says, I go to prepare a place for you. That's why you shouldn't be afraid. That's why you shouldn't be troubled. Because the one who was a carpenter before he started his ministry is a carpenter still. He went into glory and has built a mansion, a place of dwelling for every one of his redeemed. And it's going to make Rodeo Drive and any other wealthy area that you can find in this world pale in comparison to what the master carpenter has built for the redeemed. That's a fact. Look what he said. I'm going to come again and receive you unto myself. Do you believe that tonight? That's the promise of Jesus. And he went on to say that where I am, there you may be also. All right? So, beautiful stuff. Now the next section of the poem is an hour of testimony. The shepherd had come and gone. The soul of the Shulamite is ablaze with song. And she wants to share her joy with others. Now there's not very many people to share it with except these court women who don't understand her love for the shepherd. But she can't help it. And what we're about to see is this Shulamite, who has just spent this quality time with the shepherd, is about to start witnessing of the beauty of the shepherd. Do you know that you can't spend quality time with Jesus without wanting to go out and tell somebody how wonderful he is? I'm going to say that again. You cannot come out of the presence of the Lord and have had a feast in his word and a wonderful time in prayer and tasted and seen that the Lord is good without wanting to go out and tell somebody how wonderful your great shepherd is. And that's what's happening to her right here in chapter 5. She says to the court women, eat, friends, and drink. Drink your fill of love. In other words, partake with me of the joy I have with my beloved. I want you to know what I know. I want you to know the one who I love. I want you to meet the shepherd like I have met the shepherd. Let me tell you of his love. Now, she's about to go on a major brag session about the shepherd. And I tell you, church, when a church is red hot and walking in the Spirit and experiencing his blessing, we ought to have brag fits about Jesus. We ought to go out and just brag on Jesus. You don't have to be a theologian to brag on Jesus. Amen? Amen. Essentially, she's witnessing to these court women who love Solomon and not the shepherd, and they listen amazed at such love. Now, in chapter 5, verse 9, we're going to see the court women want to know, what's so great about your shepherd? How is your beloved better than others? And we're going to read that verse in a minute. How is your beloved better than others? And they're referring to Solomon. How is your shepherd better than the one we love? Solomon, oh, most beautiful of women. How is your beloved better than others that you charge us like you do? 
And this gives the Shulamite the opportunity to witness of the shepherd. And this is exactly what happens with us after having spent quality time with our great shepherd as she just has. And you know what? If you're really caught up in the beauty of the shepherd, it is no problem to go out and say, let me tell you about my shepherd. Let me talk to you about my Jesus. Let me tell you how good it is to walk with him. It is not a burden. It's not a pain. It is liberation. It is freedom. He set me free. His love is like none other. And I could get carried away right now. We want to tell the world how wonderful he is. How many of you can agree with that? All right. She begins by describing the dream. Now, how many of you remember the dream she had that we were dealing with at the beginning? Raise your hand if you remember that dream. She had that dream. You have to go back to chapter 3 to read about it. But she begins by kind of going back to that dream we looked at in chapter 3 of the shepherd approaching her at night. She describes the shepherd knocking. Now remember, the shepherd is a picture of Jesus. She's a picture of us. Keep that in mind. Now here she's telling these court women, here's what happened to me. I was asleep, but my heart was awake. Listen, she says to them, my beloved is knocking. What does he say? Open to me, my sister, my darling, my dove, my flawless one. Those words are words of love. This shepherd knocking on the door of her home is telling her how much he loves her. Now, it's easy to take this back to the first time Jesus knocked on the door of our heart. Revelation says, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. And if any man or woman hears my voice, and opens the door of their heart, I will come into them and sup with them, which means fellowship with them, and they with me. This is another picture, an Old Testament picture of that New Testament truth. He said, open to me, my sister, my darling, my dove, my flaws. I love you. Open to me. Let me in perfectly describes how our shepherd first comes to us. And I just quoted that verse. But next we see that she did not open the door. In this dream, she didn't open the door. She did not let him in. She allowed him to stand outside a barred and bolted door in the wet and cold night. Dew dripping on his hair. She didn't let him in. And it's a perfect picture on how we have bolts and deadlocks on our heart and how we resist the Lord. We may let him into a few rooms, but there's always a room or two that is still dead bolted and locked. And you know what? You never experience the fullness of Jesus till every door and every room in your soul has had the lock removed and Jesus has been allowed into every room. But she leaves him out there and she tells us of her silly reasons for turning him away. Verse three, she says, you know, I hear you knocking and I see you out there, but I've taken off my robe. Must I really put it on again? I've washed my feet. Must I soil them again? Excuses, excuses. You know, Jesus talked about those excuses. He said, he's talked about him holding a banquet, sending out messengers to invite people to the banquet. And all they hear is excuses. Well, I'd love to come, but I've married a wife. I cannot come. And I've bought me a cow. I cannot come. 
And I'm watching football. I cannot come. Oh, I'm sorry. That wasn't in there. I, I missed that. Or I had to go to the mall. I cannot come. Or, you know, life is just busy, Lord. I cannot open to you. Maybe when I'm old and gray and decrepit and sitting in some nursing home, then I'll let you in when there's nothing else to do in life. And only a fool says that. See, if you're looking for an excuse to shut Jesus out, the devil will give you 10 excuses in five minutes. Bottom line is this. You want him in your life, you will find a way to let him into your life. That's a fact. But this Shulamite, turn him away. Turn him away. And so often, it's our refusal to get out of our comfort zone. We're in our lazy boy. We don't want to fool with Christianity. It causes us to miss God. Or we don't want to get our feet dirty in the ministry of the Lord. I want to go out there and minister to all those people. I don't want to give my time. I don't want to give my strength. I'm busy. I've got a family. I've got bills to pay. So I'm not going to get my feet. Must I put my robe on again? Must I put my shoes on again? I don't want to be inconvenienced by God's call. So the Shulamite at this time, listen to me, she missed her chance at this time. Next, she tells of her sad reward for turning him away. Look what she says happened in verse 4. My beloved thrust his hand through the latch opening. My heart began to pound for him. Now, let me help you with this one. One commentator puts this verse, my beloved thrust in his hand at the window because the door was locked. So he put his hand through the window, but in the margin of the companion Bible, the reading is suggested, quote, then my beloved withdrew his hand. Well, that's it for this time, and I want to take a moment to thank all of our Life Talk listeners and supporters for your prayers and financial assistance. You know, we receive so many encouraging mails, text messages, and phone calls that just make our day. One couple just recently visited our church in Fort Worth, Texas, all the way from Indiana, to tell me how much the Life Talk broadcast means to them. You know, Life Talk is all about ministering God's Word to as many people as we can possibly reach. And our reach is growing all the time. We're now broadcasting on approximately 530 radio stations in every state of the Union, as well as the Philippines. And our Internet broadcast has received responses from Russia, England, and other parts of the world. So thank you to all of our LifeTalk listeners and supporters. Together, we're blessing tens of thousands of people each and every day. Now, don't go anywhere. Our announcer has some exciting offers for you. And be sure to join us again next time as we continue with part two of the message, An Hour of Testimony. Until then, may God's rich blessings be yours. Now you can bring Pastor Jeff Wickwire and Life Talk right into your home, your car, or wherever you may be to lead you on the exciting journey of building up your Christian walk in faith, hope, and love. For a gift of any size to Life Talk, Pastor Jeff will send you a CD collection of some of his most anointed and inspiring teaching series. 
These CDs will strengthen your faith and build your understanding of what Christ Jesus did for you at the cross. You will begin to understand just how much our Heavenly Father loves you and the whole world. So call now, toll-free, 877-884-3111, or just log on anytime, day or night, to lifetalk.tv. Listen to Pastor Jeff's hope-filled CDs again and again, or give them to family members or friends as a gift. Don't wait. Call 877-884-3111 right now, or log on anytime to lifetalk.tv and give your best gift today. An Hour of Testimony is the seventh message of Pastor Jeff's series, The One That Got Away. You can own a copy of this 10-CD set for just $50 plus shipping. Log on to lifetalkradio.us or call us toll-free at 877-884-3111. Get your copy of today's message for just $5 or purchase the entire series, The One That Got Away, for only $50 plus shipping. By logging on to lifetalkradio.us or calling us toll-free at 877-884-3111 for more information. You've been listening to Life Talk with Dr. Jeff Wickwire. To find out more about Dr. Wickwire's ministry and Turning Point Church, visit us at lifetalkradio.us or call us toll-free at 877-884-3111. That's 877-884-3111. And as a reminder, Life Talk is a listener-supported ministry. We exist to bring God's Word to thousands of people in your area on this great station. So your prayers and financial support go a long way in helping us with this endeavor. Please prayerfully consider helping us. Thanks again for listening today, and we look forward to meeting with you once again on our next Life Talk broadcast.